ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Book Music, where each episode we focus on books on music, books by musicians, memoirs by musicians, and we focus on different types of music, but always in the book form. And I am Tosh. And I am Kimley. And today we're very excited because we're going to discuss a book called Eno Murakone in His Own Words by Alexandro de Rosa. Yes. Did I pronounce it right? Alessandro de Rosa. Alessandro. I'm going to get my Italian on Marconi. today. <laughs> and Kimley, you are Italian. I'm half Italian. You're half Italian. Yes. So, um, but I'm not Italian, so if I mispronounce any names, it's perfectly okay. If you mispronounce the names, it's really... I get a that, slap on the wrist. It's very offensive. I know. Oh, my God. The <laughs> pressure is on. Medicorne. <laughs> that was pretty good, Tosh. <laughs> <laughs> and this book is, I think, one of the better books I've read about a musician. Yeah, I loved it. Um, it's a book that I always wanted on Morricone, because there is no other books on Morricone <laughs> in English. And what I find fascinating is really, for you know, for actually the first book on Morricone that I know in English, it's a very thorough, well-researched, well-interviewed yeah. um, book that also has a really incredible index and discography, and you know, and 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 his film all uh, filmography of all the films that he um, he wrote music to. And mm-hmm. Kimmy doesn't know out there because you probably just presume we're just rock and roll people. We just, you know we go beyond rock and roll sometimes. Absolutely. And uh, Eno Morricone is a Italian composer of the 20th century. He's very much still with us, still mm-hmm. working. And he is probably without a doubt one of the great movie. Film composers, if, if not, not the, yeah, if not the greatest. But I think this, this is not a subjective; it's a totally objective. <laughs> <laughs> if you dislike Morricone as a film composer, there's something really wrong with you as well, a listener. I think we should really start off by discussing your fairly strong obsession with Morricone. Well, <laughs> Why don't we tell them how I, many Morricone records you have? <laughs> I actually did an inventory today with a pen and pencil. Well, pencil on paper, because sometimes you, get, you count wrong. Yeah. If you get too high, you, you miss you count. You lose your yeah. So I had to start over again. <laughs> but we, I have exactly 79 Morricone records. Wow. That is impressive. Vinyl as well as CD. That is impressive. Uh, some more compilations of his work, but most are, are original soundtrack recordings. Yes. Uh, mostly um, Italian B-movies. He did Hollywood movies or yeah. movies in uh, in America, but the majority of um, of the original sound recordings are um, mostly for either like mostly Italian films and then maybe some French films that he did mm-hmm. and elsewhere in Europe. And uh, strange enough, I really don't have any like American albums. I'm very selective in my own mm. way. I don't have like The Untouchables, which is kind of a famous score. Right, right, right. Uh, or The Hateful Eight. Or I don't have The Hateful Eight. Days mm. of Heaven. No. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, I don't do this on purpose, but somehow right. I'm more attracted to the Italian, his more B-movie work. Or, well, I think he got more experimental in that kind I of think, work. And that is yeah. the key reason why... That's another thing. You know, in a way, Morricone is very underrated. Yeah. So to me, I mentioned to you earlier, I don't I've seen, I've not seen most of these films. 
I saw the American ones because they're easily you know, available yeah, at the time. Yeah. But I didn't see a lot of the Italian films because there were B movies. I don't think they ever got distributed here. More yeah. likely not. Yeah, I don't and, think so. Um, rediscovering or discovering his work just by listening to the music. I don't think it's a film soundtrack work. Yeah. And a lot of times when I listen to his work, I don't think it, I'm listening to a film music. I'm listening right. to a original piece of music composition. So I look at him totally as a composer, not as a yeah. film composer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though that's not true. I mean, he is a film composer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but for years I've been waiting for this book because, well, one, I don't speak Italian. Mm-hmm. And two, um, I was kind of worried... Not worried. I mean, I wasn't like losing sleep over this, but usually the books on a musician that first comes out about a foreign, it's like usually really a patch up job, not really a well written yeah, biography. Yeah. And usually they usually sort of dumb it down for English speaking audience. Not because English speakers are dumb, but a lot of times there's so much information that, that might be difficult for um, a foreigner, I mean, American or right. British. Because you have to know a lot about the Italian film world and, and film directors and other. Italian film composer. Yeah, this book is extensively footnoted, which is nice because it just lets you look up what you need to look up, and you can just read along if you don't need to look it up. It's uh, yeah, you can you can avoid the footnotes yeah. if you want, or you can look up, and it's it is very but it's well. It's definitely not dumbed down. It's yeah. not dumbed down, and, and it's very thorough in its music history and its time and place. Yeah, and the nature how Morricone and other Italian composers. Uh, worked at that time, mostly in the early 60s to like the 70s. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah. to me seems to be almost like the um, the um, the highlight or the or the uh, or the, the or glory the, days. The glory of, days yeah. of it for for a composer to work. Yeah, because I think they're doing a lot of B movies and uh, they had to turn these films out, and therefore they have, they have to hire the composers. Yeah, well, I think also you know before that, film composing was so not respected at all. It was kind of disheartening to hear him talk about, you know, in the book he says, you know, it was disappointing for him to know that Stravinsky and Satie and, you know, some of the early 20th century composers that were, he so admired, were so disdainful of film composition, you know, and um, so I feel like, you know, his, he was one of the first ones that sort of elevated the art form um, and and brought it out of the gutter, so to speak, you know. Yeah, the other thing that's kind of charming to me is like he's not, I mean, that's, like, that's what he did in theory and thought, but he was not like a, um, he was not trying to make um, soundtrack music more prominent. And it's not like, hey, this is serious music and you have to listen right. to this. I mean, he was a working stiff composer. Absolutely. You know, he's paid by the movie, you know, and that's... Oh, yeah. And he had deadlines galore and yeah. he worked a lot. Yeah, yeah. He talks about that a lot in the book about how, you know, he knows that he's doing something to accompany somebody else's work mm-hmm. the, his, he's not the author of this work that he's just contributing yeah. a piece of the puzzle and he's very very aware of that so it's interesting um the author um alessandro the rose ah. <laughs> very good molto bene that's french the rose um is a composer himself yeah um, I don't know his music at all. And is he a film composer or is he just a composer composer? I'm not sure, actually. I think he might just be a regular composer. Yeah, and he, he's, he's an interesting relationship. But he's an interesting have. Morricone fan. Yeah. And the introduction is interesting because he just actually approached Morricone out of the blue. Yeah. He went to a, a public 
event that Morricone was mm-hmm. at, mm-hmm. and he just basically trapped him. When yeah, he was yeah just handed him a CD and said, "Please <laughs> listen." <laughs> well, you like, imagine like millions of other people have yeah. probably done to him. And actually, like a dream come true, Morricone did listen to the CD and yeah. liked the music and offered to give him advice. Yeah, and they became friends over time. Yeah, and, that's nice. Um, and the author, De Rosa, uh, decided to do a series of interviews with Morricone, thinking mm-hmm. I think like a book is what what we have yeah. now and um it is a very thorough interview i mean it's 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 broken up in chapters and subject matter but it does cover the entire morricone's career and life yeah. in detail well i love in the uh, preface there's a quote i i pulled it out this is what morricone says about the book he says this is beyond a shadow of a doubt the best book ever written about me the most authentic the most detailed and well curated <laughs> of course it's the it's only book in english <laughs> yeah the only one is i think there was one other book that came out in italian uh-huh. um that was written by an academic oh because i i know that i noticed it in the footnotes of this book but yeah it's kind of amazing that there haven't been any other no usually when i think of film soundtrack you know when i was younger i i didn't really respect film um composers compared to other composers or just mm. even rock and roll musicians mm-hmm. i felt mm-hmm. they was working for the job kind of hack writers uh. You know, like I never thought Mancini, Henry, you know, Henry Mancini, right, right, right. hack writer, hack songwriter. Yeah. I don't feel that way anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> John Barry, you know, yeah. James Bond, <laughs> who cares, you know. <laughs> then I realized, but then somehow, like in the 80s or 90s, when they start reissuing these albums, yeah, I start listening to music differently right and i had, and i grew a really deep appreciation and that's when you first got into well i really got into soundtrack music just as this music uh-huh. and, and you know, again it's, it's nothing rare i mean it's like john barry you know mancini who i yeah. think is great um and then of course morricone who's like the other side of the coin yeah and as you get into morricone i found him way more interesting because um well one everything i bought by him is always great. Yeah. It's either very interesting mm-hmm. or like just, in, in, just incredible music. Yeah, yeah. And also the way he has so many different styles. Like there's a lot of people, you know, there's the lounge generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Morricone's big in the lounge music world, you know, the bachelor pad music. <laughs> and it's obvious that lounge music is Morricone and that, it, that that's what it is. But... That's not all Marconi, you yeah. know. And there's the lush, like the mission and, and certain big film scores right. he did that's very lush and movie-like and mm-hmm. very romantic. Mm-hmm. And that's Marconi as well. Yeah. But there's also a very experimental, avant-garde, noise music yeah. of Marconi that's... Um, more people are being aware of it, but I think that's probably the last thing people pick up on, yeah. you know, overall of Morricone's career. Yeah. I picked up on the noisy stuff first and then right. worked my way up right. to more beautiful right, melodies. Right, right. But um I so his his approach to music and his sense to experiment and his just being open minded about sounds and how to develop these sounds and these sort of um music concrete things he has mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. Um either by himself or he's part of this group of experimental composers, mostly who did film work. Um, Gruppo di Improvisazione Nova Constantina. <laughs> how was that? Okay. Mm. How, how would you pronounce <laughs> it? Così, così. <laughs> how would you pronounce it? Oh, boy. 
Grupo de improvisación de nuevo, nueva consonanza. Exactly Something. what I said. <laughs> We've both agreed. We're supposed to say the same thing. I got I hope no real Italians <laughs> listen to this episode. <laughs> Which actually, when you translate, means uh, new music. Uh, improvisation group of new co- of music of new consonants, which is kind of interesting. So, so, so it sounds like situationist. Well, like I think they're sort of when they're saying new consonants, maybe they're sort of playing on like it's consonant, but not quite. There's some disconsonants mm-hmm. there. I don't know. Um, but basically, they they have like set rules. It's interesting, Morricone. You think, oh, this must be very young Morricone. You know, like mm-hmm. Morricone when he first started when he was wild and crazy. But this is when he joined the band or joined this group, this mm-hmm. collective, very much when he was very successful in his career. Right. So it's not like you know, here's the weird Morricone doing his weird stuff. And yeah, he was always weird. Yes. <laughs> he's not like, you know, he gets older, he gets more conservative. Yeah. It's not the case. Yeah. He's always been sort of this this wild, crazy. Well, you know, I think it's interesting because you know we've. You know, his music, especially like the spaghetti western music, is so iconic that we sort of take it for granted and we don't even listen to it at the time. It was actually tremendously experimental. Mm -hmm. It wasn't at all what people would traditionally expect in a western movie. No. Even though now that's immediately what you think of when you hear that music as a western. And and that music is really super experimental. And and the the Italian western, you know, the soundtrack music for for uh, for those Clint Eastwood movies. Uh huh. Uh, Sergio Leone. Leone. Uh-huh. Um, it's fascinating because that music has such a huge influence on so many other music bands. Yeah. I mean, I, I, for, I mean Adam and you know the Ants, obviously, mm-hmm. and uh, and also some of the uh, you know sort of the neo folk desert rock. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. hippie cowboy, 1990s uh-huh. bands. Uh-huh. Uh, definitely took the Morricone sound. Yeah. You know, the sort of the, oh Wall of Voodoo. It was oh, a big band in, uh, yeah, in my yeah, youth yeah. who just took all I mean, it was like electronics and spaghetti yeah, western, yeah, Morricone yeah. guitar licks and stuff. And uh, so Morricone is a huge influence on, you know, that, in that part of that music world, yeah. as well as the lounge music world later. But um, his career is so dynamic in that he had such a wide range of styles and stuff. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too. That another thing that we don't realize that I, I didn't even realize when, until I read the book, but... Those um, early Western um, soundtracks uh, use electric guitar, and they were like one of the first film soundtracks to utilize that instrument. It was yeah. just kind of amazing. Because yeah. now it just seems so normal, but it was actually pretty um, groundbreaking at the yeah, time. Yeah, and it's interesting that Marconi chose his instruments quite specifically. Yeah. Like he, he used he, a lot of unusual instruments he did. for soundtracks. He yeah. Did. And a lot of stuff is almost like third world or, you know, African instrumentation. Yeah. yeah. But yet it, when he when it when but when he gets a hold of it, it's totally Morricone like. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not like he's it's like I'm gonna do Arabic music. It's right. never that. It's no. like Arabic instrumentation doing Morricone. Mm-hmm. So he never like he doesn't change. Yeah. He changes the instruments in a way. Yeah. And the way he used electric guitar is so distinctive and unique. You know, that sort of lonely electric guitar sound. Yeah, know? and the rhythms that he uses mm-hmm. are really interesting. I, I mentioned to you that last night I, I watched, uh, you can stream uh, Morricone conducting Morricone. And it was really interesting because they had like, basically, uh, along with the orchestra, they had like a rock band. They uh-huh. had a guitarist oh, and they? an electric bass uh-huh. and a full like rock drum kit. Uh-huh. And... Um, 
So it was really fun to watch that. And um, so he was live. He did the the, the uh, Italian. Yeah, yeah, he oh. did. He did a couple of them. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I he has. Well, he hasn't come. Have by you the, ever seen him live? No, you uh. know he, he has, a couple of times he, he was supposed to come to the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. And I think he did once, but I missed it, and you know, mm. and he canceled another tour. He's touring this summer in yeah. Italy. I think it's like his farewell. It's probably going to be yeah, because he's at ninety ninety one now. I but you know I don't have an urge to see him because I feel like he's just going to do like the mission and you know. Like yeah, the, the thing I saw was all the big. Well, there were a few films. There were a few of the sort of B movie mm-hmm. Italian films that I wasn't familiar with. But yeah, it was a, a large. I, mean, part I want of it was I want to say forget it, everybody. I'm not going to do the mission. I'm just going to do group folk stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He didn't do any group folk stuff. We're just going to do. We're just going to do feedback. Yeah, <laughs> that would be amazing. That would Free be jazz. so amazing. I would go to see that. I would if and I could really, travel to Italy it, to see. That. And make it really funny. loud. Yeah, <laughs> that would be so awesome. <laughs> but you know, I have a, actually a, a personal Morricone story. I know. So yes, please well, tell. My favorite Morricone piece of all time is actually the most beautiful melodies. This is the music from the Sicilian Clan, mm-hmm. which I love. I adore that piece. You did it, do that piece live. He does. Okay. <laughs> well, you might have to go see him. I after know all. now. I'm, I'm thinking me, but he. It's it's just a, it's just a piece of music that I just I talk, I just go crazy about. It's yeah. almost like you know when a cat see cat food or a dog sees dog food. When I hear <laughs> you that, have a piece, Pavlovian uh, yeah, response. I, yeah, I start sweating, <laughs> <laughs> slobbering. Uh-huh. And I was working at Book Soup, which is um, a very well known bookstore in in, uh, in West Hollywood. Mm-hmm. A lot of legendary people have come by there, yeah. go by there. And um, I was there one morning, and a time woman approached the back desk and said to me, "Do you have any books on Morricone?" I'm going to do the fake Italian. Uh-huh. And I said, and I said, no. And I said, I'm a huge Morricone fan, but there's no books in English on him. And, you know, it's like it's yeah. a, it's a, it's terrible, but there's no books on him. And she went, oh, oh, oh. And you know, she heard that I'm a fan of Morricone because I was told her, and she said, oh, well, he's here. And I said, "Yeah, I, I, he's getting the special Oscar award. Uh-huh. You know, he's getting the you know the best you know the the, the main Oscar award yeah. for legendary you know being yeah. a legendary personality in the films world." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Yeah, it's great. He's going to be at the Oscars tonight." And yeah, yeah. So he's here. And I said, "Yes, Marconi is here in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. I, I'm presuming tonight is <laughs> yeah, the Oscars." Yeah. And she said, "No, no, 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 no. He's here." And I went, <laughs> and I went "Here, yeah. I know he's in Los Angeles." Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So I was going back and forth on this. He says, "No, she finds it." He's in the bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, bookstore? Like, I'm working at Book Soup. Are you, are you presu- you're telling me that Marconi is in Book Soup? Uh, and then you lost it, now, right? Well, there's it, you know, certain people you think you'll never, ever see yeah. in person. It's like you yeah. see, can't imagine how it's possible. And Marconi is like somebody from another planet to me. Yeah. You know, his, I mean, I don't, I mean... He never works with any Western. Yummy you know, I mean, has, but nobody. You know, he's not a showbiz figure. Yeah, he's he not, doesn't travel to Hollywood. He doesn't travel, so I figure you know, Morricone's always going to be this sort of exotic yeah. creature to me from another Delicious. land. Yeah. And I just and I did lost. I said I can't believe Morricone's here. <laughs> I didn't want to see him. I thought it'd be too much. Uh-huh. <laughs> Until a, a, one of my coworkers, I think it was Fawn, who I well, who I worked with, uh-huh. Fawn's great. She dragged me over there and uh-huh. said, "You got to meet him." He's very nice, or she's something like that. Uh-huh. So I go there. I know he doesn't speak English. Right. So I thought, okay, I, 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 could, I figured I could say something really stupid, uh-huh. something really grand, and, you know, I could say something this crazy. <laughs> so I talk, I, I, I went up to him, I was introduced to him, I shook his hand, and I said, I said, you know, 
you're my favorite composer of all time. And when I die, I'm going to have an orchestra play the Sicilian clan at my <laughs> funeral. And he looks at his assistant and looks at my fawn and he says, he looks at me and he says, you don't have to die. He said in English. And I thought, okay, what was he talking about? And he says, and I said, I don't have to die? He said, no, 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 no. And then he started whistling the entire melody of the Sicilian oh clan. Oh, that's to so me. amazing. And I'm looking at like, he's whistling Sicilian clan to me. And I'm looking around my other co-workers, and they can't believe it either. Life doesn't get better than <laughs> no. that. And he did, he, was done, he did this for about a minute or two. Wow. Uh, it was not long in a lifetime, but long in the oh, situation. Oh, I know, I know. He really got into it. And he whistled like, he whistles beautifully. Oh, man. There's a lot of whistling in the spaghetti western. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he whistles beautifully. And he finished. And he says, see, you don't have to die. Oh, man. That's <laughs> like a he, perfect moment. And then he shook my hand, and then he left. <laughs> but we do have documentation. We have a photo of you with him, yes. which we will be posting on okay, our we'll social we, media we for will, sure. Yes, I know, because people are not going to believe I, no, that no, this happened. And, you know, I, I have to tell people that Tosh meets famous people his whole life. It's very rare for him to get flustered by a famous person. But What's Morricone? Morricone, oh, my God. I mean, and he whistled the Sicilian clan for you. That's just such I, an incredible story. For some story. reason, I can't imagine Jim Morrison and Doors whistling Light My Fire to you. Wow. I don't think Bully would whistle Rebel Rebel. No. <laughs> I don't uh, think Sinatra would whistle Strangers in the Night. No, <laughs> I know. So, That's amazing. So I think it's a special personality who would do something he like that. He seems like, he, from reading the book, he seems like an incredibly um, generous person, yeah. you know? I mean, the fact that he listened to Alessandro's CD that he handed yeah. him and then encouraged him, yeah. and they ended up becoming friends. I mean, he sounds like he's just, um, you know, he's very forthcoming, and he seems, he's. it's funny because he's, he's modest, but it's not a um, false modesty. No. He doesn't have any trouble saying, like, oh, I do like this thing I did, or I yeah. don't like this. Like, he, it's not you know, the kind of modesty where you, you think, oh, he's just saying that because he wants you to give him a compliment. It's no. more genuine. He seems extremely genuine. I mean, I have to say, I really fell in love with him after reading this book. He was just so... I didn't expect him to be a nice guy. I mean, yeah, I mean, first, that's another thing that I, him, you know, whistling <laughs> just yeah. to me. Such a nice thing. Yeah. I always thought he, I always thought in my mind he'd be sort of standoffish right. and... You know, have this sort of Italian aristocrat, mm-hmm. you know, Visconti, you know. Ah. <laughs> you, you know, go away, little person. <laughs> but he's totally the opposite of that. No, he seems like a very warm, genuine Yeah, person. and it's interesting. He writes, in the book, they talk a lot about um, film directors he worked with. Yeah. Like Ron De Palma and yeah. uh, a lot of Italian directors I don't know. Right. Uh, Pasolini I do know. Yeah. And him and Pasolini seem to have a good relationship. Yeah, I thought it was actually really interesting, though, when he talked about how... Um, Pasolini uh, took out some of the naughty bits of uh, like Salo and yeah. uh, you know before he showed it to Morricone I guess he was worried that Morricone would get upset and uh, Mor- it's like did he think he wasn't going to see the film I don't know I thought that was hysterical wasn't well, thing about you know there's something about Morricone the image I, I figured he would get upset well it's interesting I think the kind of respect that Morricone got like Pasolini to me always st- strikes me as an incredibly intimidating now mm-hmm. he seems like somebody yeah. like 
I can't imagine having a conversation with Pasolini. I mean, I don't really know very much about him personally, but he seems like one of the more intimidating. Yeah. You know? Point out that Morricone did all the early Pasolini yeah. films. Did he do yeah. Salo as well? He did Salo. He That's did the Salo. one that he okay. said. Yeah, he uh, when Pasolini okay, showed him a pre-screening, yeah. he he took out some of the really <laughs> gnarly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, Morricone saw it and he's like, "Yeah, they were pretty bad, but you know, <laughs> it's art." <laughs> he does like a tie and B movie, you know, sex yeah, movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yes, yeah, so some of Morricone seems like I don't want to upset him. This guy, or you know, yeah. there's something about his presence that seems like ooh. But the fact is, he's actually a very warm-hearted, nice guy. It seems like yeah, and he seems like he treats people. Of course, we're only getting his side of the story. Yeah, but it seems like he treats people pretty well around him, and he has a great respect for film directors. Yeah, uh, he's something he strongly disagrees what they do, but he's also realized he's an employee. Yeah, he's company. super aware of that. So he's very yeah. professional in that sense, yeah. you know, and he's he serves a purpose for the he when he gets a job, it's not like, well, I'm gonna write my music and this is it. Yeah. He will listen to the director's opinions about the yeah. music. Yeah. Even though it could be totally stupid and Yeah, way. I mean he's he'll say, you know, well, I didn't agree with him, but that's what he wanted. Yeah. So, you know, it's his film. So he's very much a workman type yeah. of attitude. Sort of like you clock in, you clock out. Well, I was I was very impressed. I mean, repeatedly in the book, he talks about, you know, he really sort of hates the idea of um, people calling him like a genius or saying that he's like, you know, incredibly inspired because he says he, you know, he he quoted the famous saying, you know, one percent inspiration, 99 percent perspiration. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think he works really, really hard. And, you know, he repeatedly says, like, you know, my work is good because I work hard. Right. You know, and I think that's really the truth for most um, successful, creative people. He does have like a working class attitude. Yeah, I mean, you have does, to work hard. Yeah, it's not like I'm just a genius just sitting around yeah. getting inspiration. He yeah. does work. Yeah. And it's funny, he has two types of music he talks throughout the book. Applied yeah. music and absolute music. Yeah, so I actually pulled the quote where he says how he differentiates us because it's interesting. Because I'd never heard that term before, absolute music. It makes sense to me, but go ahead. Well, no, I knew what he yeah, meant. I yeah. was clear in the context, but um, at one point when they really get into it. So he says, it's a distinction that arguably means more to the composer than the audience, who generally isn't very concerned with these matters. Absolute music is that which wholly springs from the composer's will, from a pure generative idea. Applied music is instead that which, quote, serves, unquote, another, quote, more important, unquote, art. So he's very aware of when he's doing the film music that, you know, he's serving somebody else's art. He, he thinks in, in in categories. Yeah. And so when he's doing like the applied music, that's obviously means for commercial use or for money or for, um, you know, the film soundtracks that he yeah. is famous for. Then the absolute music is stuff that he writes for himself that's not tied to a visual exactly medium. or anything else and i guess yeah. grupo or the group that they call in english yeah. the group is definitely um absolute music yeah except he has used grupo or the group for his soundtrack work yeah um well I, he definitely mixes it up sometimes yeah. he takes some of the soundtrack work and reworks it for you know personal purposes yeah. and he also it was interesting because he t he also differentiated between what he called auteur films and more commercial films yeah where, you know, he said, you know, an auteur, an auteur film, you know, so like a Pasolini film, he could um, be more experimental. He was aware right. that he didn't have to worry about the bottom line, that mm -hmm. this was a completely different perspective mm -hmm. versus the things that he does, like The Mission or a Brian yeah. De Palma film or something like that. Film geeks, I mean, sorry, film fans, 
<laughs> I mean, sorry, film lovers, excuse me, um, will really appreciate this book. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like a little mini history of Italian cinema and, and independent... Independent cinema, yeah. American cinema. And yeah. it talks a lot about filmmakers. It's mm-hmm. not, it's, a lot, of course, has a lot of music stuff, a lot of um, music references. Yeah, I would say one of the things that was a little bit difficult was he does get into music theory quite heavily. So I think that would be super interesting for our composers, musicians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even for me, who I don't know really anything about music theory, it, you can still get the gist of what he's trying to say. So it's not a huge hurdle. Well, it's a book. It's a conversation book. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, it's Between a, two musicians. It's a Q&A format, yeah. two musicians. And they do get really nerdy. Or nerdy yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> geeky? No, not geeky. Um, <laughs> talk about music in a very Enthusiastic. mature way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but it didn't stop me. For somebody who doesn't know music terminology, it didn't stop yeah. me from reading No, it didn't at stop all. me at all. Yeah. But I would say that's maybe some people might find that a little. But it's well footnoted. I mean, anything yeah. that's like, it's definitely a book is made for the general reader. Yeah. That's why it's so well footnoted. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, you know, the index is really great. Yeah. So it's not to scare away. No, it's not a theory book. It's not a you know. It's not a Europe. It's not like those high thinking Tutin. No, he's extremely. I mean, they're both. It's nice because they clearly have a really good relationship, and um, you know, Morricone clearly respects Anderosa, and so you know, he's very forthcoming. He seems very open with him, and they seem very comfortable together. I mean, obviously, this was. The format of the book is an interesting format because it was a couple of years, I believe, that they did these interviews, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, periodically and got together and just had these discussions. And so it's nice because maybe, you know, Morricone wasn't comfortable writing a memoir or whatever. It's an no. interesting format yeah. for a, a it's like to me autobiography, It's not like to I me he would, he, he would want to do that, but he probably doesn't have the ability exactly. or the time to do something like that. Exactly. So he took care of that. Yeah. yeah. But also, it's kind of great because, you know, when I started the book, I thought, oh, man, he's not going to talk about Grupo or the you know, group yeah. experimental stuff. You know, I thought, oh, he's going to just talk about, you know, the mission. The mission, and, right. <laughs> and, and, which is good. But, you know, but I was really happy that it, it really is a full portrait covers everything because everything by, by yeah, him yeah and um one thing they didn't cover that much is about library music you know what library music is yeah you've told me about this before i don't think they yeah. mentioned the book that much yeah i don't, no, think they, I don't recall them mentioning that i have to all. imagine morricone did some of that work all mm-hmm. composers did especially in italy and in england mm-hmm. and america mm-hmm. but it's basically um music written for a um a production not a production company but for a um a service that you know, they made they write music for the serv- you know the services organization, and then an independent producer or director or whoever mm-hmm. can go there. And yeah, like bu- stock, we call it stock music. Stock I think music, here. yeah, yeah. So they can buy the music, like yeah. they have a chase scene or something right. in the commercial. They need some happy music, right? So uh, Morcone did some writing for that, mm. uh, but there's the other guy named um, Egisto Machi. Egisto, I think it's I think it's Egisto. Thank you, yeah. Egisto Machi. <laughs> Maki. Maki. Um, that's how it should be, I think. Yeah. Maki. Maki. For, t- for three <laughs> years, I mispronounced his name. Maki. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing it. And <laughs> I'm a huge fan of his work. Yeah. And it seems like all his work is done for library um, houses. Egisto Maki's? Yeah. Oh, oh okay. But he does themes. Like he did one on Mexico. Yeah. So it's sort of like a Mexican theme. But it's well, like he totally did a lot crazy. of film composition too, didn't he? Or did it, he was did. it purchased, the film composition yeah. was purchased by I think, I think a, a library? I that's the case. Oh, that's interesting. Um, 
definitely I feel Morricone was on a higher ring or level. Yeah. You know? But he also is part of the group. Grupo, yeah. yeah. And I think they're all like film composers. Uh-huh. But all of those deep interest in John Cage and experimental. Well, they said that's how it sort of initially started as they, as they were, when they were all students, they saw John Cage perform. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and they were in, and and they were disturbed by it, and as well as intrigued. Yeah, by it at the same exactly, time. exactly. Yeah, so John Cage is a huge inspiration for um, for Morricone. Yeah, and yeah. also a composer named Nono N O N O. I'm not sure how to pronounce it in Italian. Uh, yeah, it would be right. I, Nono. But Nono is a um, very much of an experimental 20th century composer, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think Morricone took a lot from him as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, he definitely mentions a lot of the more avant-garde, you know, Stockhausen and Schoenberg and Weber, and, and yeah, he talks about all those as being huge influences on him. So he definitely, you know, before he started doing the commercial film music, he was already interested in the more avant-garde experimental yes. music That's scene. like his platform. Yeah. His platform was definitely studying, like, uh, the, you know, from Vienna, the Vienna, uh, yeah. like, uh, uh, um, Schoenberg yeah. and uh, Webern and, you know, yeah. and those people. And then he went on from, like, Cage and, like, yeah. Stockholz and all these people. And he's aware of all the noise stuff and, you know, all the experimental music happening in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And I feel that's, like, his foundation, which makes, for me, makes his work interesting because it's not, he based it on really contemporary art or yeah. contemporary music art. Yeah, you know, it's not this all like Bach or Beethoven and you know Wagner. Mm-hmm. He has more like really interesting late nineteenth, twentieth century, one level of foundation. Then like John Cage is another yeah story or another right. floor of, of of influences and Stockholm. And then he himself just embraced the whole electronic tape manipulating. Yeah, I mean, he was one of the first people to use a synth- synthesizer. He talked about, like, an yeah. early synthesizer that he used. Yeah, and, uh, before was, the Moog. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was really interesting. So, yeah. I mean, and he does even mention, he says, even on the most commercial work, he says he's always trying to push himself as much as he possibly can within the context of what, you know, the mm-hmm. director needs. But he, he he says that's a goal for him in each project that he does, that he's always trying to push himself to do something new. Yeah. So, you know, he's he really pushes himself and... Um, it's obvious that's why his work is so amazing. Well, this book is p- published by Oxford. Yes, so, so academic. academic, <laughs> but not an academic book. No. And Ennio Morricone, in his own world, words, world, words, in his own <laughs> words, is a really exceptional book. If you're a Morricone fan, of course you have to have it. But if you're a film lover, <laughs> you must have it as well. Or if you're interested in contemporary music, I think it's an important book. Yeah. Well. I mean, I and then amazing thing about Morricone is even people who don't know his name know his music. Yes. I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah. I, I, I keep seeing this Modelo beer commercial with uh, Ecstasy of Gold from The Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's just like his music is everywhere, you know? And uh, the other day, I was I just started watching Orange is the New Black on mm-hmm. uh, Netflix, mm-hmm. and there's a scene where there's like two inmates with a duel, Mm. And I guess they couldn't afford the Morricone music, yeah. so they, they they did music that I'll I will call an homage uh-huh. to the you know. <laughs> so you know his music is just so much part of the culture. It is, yeah, and commercials and all that sort. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's totally a fascinating c- composer, and he's just an amazing person. Now that I've read this book, I I adore him as a person. Now, he's a superb person. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
this is we're going towards the end of book music and do you have anything else you want to add um on Morricone um I think we're good with that um I think everyone knows they need to read this book yes because even if you didn't know who Morricone was you already loved his music yes (laughs) and we'll be doing more podcasts Yes, we will. So, yeah, so the next podcast is going to be the Charles Mingus autobiography. Morricone to Charles Mingus. Right. Morricone to Charles Mingus. I'm trying to to sound American for Charles Mingus. Yeah, got to sound American. Okay. Charles Mingus. (laughs) Jazzy. (laughs) Jazzy. (laughs) So, yeah, and uh, check our Facebook page and our Instagram, and our website is bookmusic.com it's b-o-o-k-m-u-s-i-k.com yes Yes, m-u-s-i-k yes forget to see now who needs a c we don't need a c (laughs) so ladies and gentlemen we had a good time here and we hope you had a joy enjoyable experience listening to us and we will see you next time not see here here us next time on book music thank you bye-bye